We are going to jump into the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk or William, because no one knows. It's an Akkadian word. No one knows how it's pronounced. We just make it up, but if you're a pastor and you can't pronounce something, just act like you know what it is and just, then people believe you. Jesus. We know ultimately that scripture has one subject and it's redemption through your life, death, and resurrection. And so when we read and we study, we look for you, we look for redemption we ask, Lord, as we study this sometimes strange prophet Habakkuk, who talks to you as a friend, I pray that ultimately, Lord, we would see your redemption, even in hard times, even with evil like Babylon, can we see your redemption? So may we have understanding. We know that the natural cannot understand spiritual things. That it is only through our eyes being enlightened by your spirit that we can comprehend. So we ask for spirit-led comprehension on this wonderful prophet. So would you speak and maybe listen well, we pray. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Um, you could pretty much say Habakkuk is, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever heard that book? Harold Kushner, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, giant bestseller. Um, he wrote the book because his son had progeria, which is this disease where in 20 years, you age 100 years. So by the time his son was 10, he looked like he was 50. And as they processed through it and his son died very early, he wondered, what, how do I make sense of this? And he wrote the book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And in it, he postulated two things. Either God is weak or he's not good. And when he saw what had happened and he walked through this, that was his two suggestions. And he ends up saying, well, I think God is good, so he must just be weak. So the reason why bad things happen is because God isn't great enough to do something about them. And that was his answer. Habakkuk has the same issue. Why are these bad things happening? And what Habakkuk is, is he sees a disparity between God's character, good and generous, and the world that he lived in. A God of justice and holiness and the world that he lived in. <laughs> And he was frustrated and disappointed. Now, some people say, how can a believer ever be disappointed in God? I say, how can you be human and not? How can you look around and see suicide and drugs and abuse and natural disasters like the campfire and just on and on and on, injustice? How can you be human and not? Because deep in our minds, and I don't know how many times I've said this and I'll keep saying it, 
deep in our minds is what I call the echo of Eden. That we know this is not the way things are supposed to be. That we are designed to live in God's presence in a beautiful place where there's no death and no disease. And we know that, that's still in us. It's why we're like, why, 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 why? Why does this stuff happen? We remember it. So Habakkuk, this book is awesome because he's so honest. He just, oh, that's real. It's, it ends just reviving your soul. That's what happens to me. And he begins with a lot of worry. You ever get worried about evil? Worried about evil in your kids? Like what kind of a world are my kids growing up in? Or as a grandparent, worried about the kind of world that your grandkids are growing up in. You ever get worried about that? Man, I do. You ever look around, read the news <laughs> and say, really? Is this happening again? You ever get frustrated by it all? I think there's two groups of people, frustrated people and really frustrated people. The first group just knows how to kind of keep a lid on it. And the second group of people, they're just like Habakkuk. They're like, ah, you ever get upset at politics today? No matter where you're at, you're like, ah, really? That's one of the main problems Habakkuk has is the politics of the day. Like, ah, I can't believe this. Out of all this though, here's what happens. Habakkuk, I don't know, you could say stumbles on, revealed to, out of this, Habakkuk comes upon the worldview the biblical worldview, the way to look at our world. He comes, stumbles into it, if you would. God reveals it to him, it's brilliant. What's your worldview? When you see God's character and you see the evil, when you see it, like, what's your, how do you view things? Are you nihilistic? Just everything is meaningless and because there's no meaning, just do what you want. Are you an acquisitionist? Just get more stuff. The one with the most toys wins. Great bumper sticker, right? Is that it? Is it hedonism? Just the, all of life is about having fun. Like you gotta have fun. Here's what amazes me about people that are fun people. It actually becomes, you become enslaved to it. Like if you're not having fun, then what are you doing? Dude, you better go have fun. Figure out how to have more fun. And what if you're not having as much fun as you could have, right? FOMO. Who knows what FOMO is? Raise your hand. Right? Fear of missing out. Like, oh no, I could actually be having more fun doing something else. You actually become enslaved. Hedonism enslaves you. Is that it? Is it Ayn Rand's philosophy? Or she says, you have to live 100% for you. That's the only way to live. You live 100% for you and don't expect anyone to do anything for you. Is that it? Man, that seems like it has no soul to it to me. Like that's what life is about. It's 100% for you. How would you ever raise kids like that? You are not having kids if you're saying, if you believe in Ayn Rand, you're not having kids because it's impossible. <laughs> you will not live for yourself if you have kids. I don't think you even get married. Is it duty? Immanuel Kant said the highest thing, famous philosopher, he said the highest thing for Mankind is duty. Here's an illustration of how to understand the way that Immanuel Kant looked at the world. It'd be like this, like look at two different marriages. The first marriage is a, is a husband and a wife who are devoted to each other. The husband just is ravished by his wife. 
cherishes her, serves her because he loves her with all of his heart. That's marriage number one. Marriage number two is, if you ask this man, bro, how's your marriage? He would respond. To be honest, that woman sucks the life out of me. But 20 years ago, I gave my word. And for the rest of my long, long, long life, I am in. Duty, right? Now, what engaged couple says, give me 50 years of that? Man, duty like that? I love that. Emmanuel Kant would say, that dude's killing it. Not the guy over here that's loving his wife and cherishing her and serving her, but the man that says, if I could get out of this, I would, but duty holds me here. Kant would say, that's better. I mean, I think that is a terrible way to live. No, thank you. But all these are worldviews. So Habakkuk, because of this thing that happens in him and him looking around and what he does, this process in the middle of the book of Habakkuk, something is revealed to him, which I think is the biblical worldview. It's chapter two, verse four, and it's this. The righteous shall live by faith. That is the biblical worldview. I believe it began in Genesis chapter 15, verse six, where it says, Abraham, amen God, believed God, and it was counted him for righteousness. And from that point on, you see, that is what God wants. A group of people, no matter how dim the circumstances look, no matter how bad it looks, you still say, I trust God. I trust God. Luther read this verse and is what transformed his life. It's why we're not Roman Catholic because he read this, he goes, that's it. That's the way to look at life. That's it. That there is a king and there is a kingdom and it's coming. And this king and kingdom is very different than the world we live in. It's love your neighbor as yourself. It's serve others, that the way up is down, like all that stuff, that's the king. And right now I am living as if that kingdom is already here. I'm living in the faith that it is already here, that God knows what he's doing, even if I don't know. And I trust that. I trust Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, I have plans for you. I have good plans for you. Plans of peace, not of evil, to bring you a future and a hope. Okay, God. And he said that to a bunch of people in Babylon, a very evil, nasty place. Hey, trust me. I got a plan for you. And it's gonna bring you a future. And it's gonna bring you a hope. It's that. It's I have faith in this book that what it says is right, especially the end of it, that that's right. So Habakkuk, brilliantly, because of this process that happens, this massive revelation is given to him. This is what I'm looking for. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. So we'll try to tackle chapter one. And here's what chapter one is. Why? God's answer and then Habakkuk says, what? That's the whole chapter. Let's go, why? Verse one, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Here's his why. Oh, Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? 
Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Here's his why. God, why do I see all this wickedness? Why do I see violence? Why do I see iniquity? Why do I see destruction? Why do I see violence, strife, and contention? I see all this, God. Do you? And if you do, why don't you stop it? It's unjust. We love justice, don't we? Like the time you're a little kid, from the time you're a little kid all the way up, we love justice. That's why we tattletale, right? <laughs> they did this, right, right, right. It's why your kids tattletale, they love justice. We do too. Just look at what's on TV. How many CSI shows are there, right? CSI, like Miami, CSI, LA, CSI, San Diego, CSI, New York, CSI, Seattle, CSI, Merlin, like it's coming. It's like, because we love justice, give us justice. And that's what he's saying. Why do I see all this injustice? Why do I see all this evil? And why does it seem like, God, you're not doing anything? And in verse four, he says, the law is paralyzed. Here's what had happened. A new king had taken the throne, King Jehoiachin. And he was not a good king. When Jeremiah was told to give his book to King Jehoiakim, he gave it to him and he took a knife and just cut it up and burned it. I don't want to hear that. Bad, bad, bad guy, evil, evil king. And there had been a change in Habakkuk's time because his dad was a guy named, named Josiah, super good king. He's a king that began ruling Israel when he was eight years old. Can you imagine that? Have you ever looked at your eight-year-old and thought, yeah, they should run the country. They do a better job, yeah? Elect them. I mean, it's insane. He starts at eight years old, right? He rebuilds the temple. When they're rebuilding the temple, he finds the Bible. The Bible had been lost for a long time. He finds the Bible, he's like, oh my goodness, let's read this thing. We're not doing any of this. And this revival breaks out in Josiah's time. So Habakkuk is like, yeah, this is awesome. And then he dies and his son takes over. And his son is no good So the law is paralyzed. It's no good now. And this is what he says. And justice never goes forth. Do you think that's true? Whenever people use words like always and never, we have a saying in our house, always and never, always and never. What that normally means is you've exaggerated so you're saying, Habakkuk, there has never been justice, right? He's exaggerating here. Those are two words you have to be very careful using, right? Always remember to never say those words. <laughs> That's a good thing to say, especially when you're talking with someone because you almost always push it too far. And this is what has happened. It's like Habakkuk is on Twitter and it's all caps right now. 
It's just, shriek, I'm through the roof right now. And I'm telling, ah, that's what he is. He's, ah. And what he says that to me is the most important statement is this, how long? How long? Ever felt that way? How long can I be depressed like this? How long is this sickness gonna be eating away at my body? How much more chemo? How long, much longer do I have to take this pain? How much longer do I have to struggle with my marriage or with money or with kids or in school? How long? Like anyone can do it for a week or a month, right? You can take a lot for a week or a month. But when it drags on, month after month, year after year, with no light at the end of the tunnel, that's when we become hopeless and desperate. And that's where Habakkuk is. That's why it's all caps right now. Never, it's all caps. I can't take it anymore. I see no light, I can't do it. So now God answers him. Verse five, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. If you get this in a card from Hallmark or something, look out, right? It sounds good for I'm doing a work in your days that if you, would not, if you were told you wouldn't believe it, it sounds like, yeah, he's doing an awesome thing. Uh-uh, he's bringing Babylon to spank Israel. And so if you get a card like that, send it back. I don't want that, no way. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff, and at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it, siege ramps. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So essentially, here's what happens. Habakkuk, you're not gonna understand if I told you. Please tell me, God, I'll understand, please tell me. Okay, here it is. I don't get it, God, I don't get it. That's what I said would happen to you. Right, that's this chapter. It's like telling a 10-year-old, listen, eating ice cream and watching videos all night is not healthy for you. Are you gonna win that? They're like, what are you talking about? Yes, it is. I wanna eat ice cream and be a vidiot. Come on, leave me alone. That's what the, it's like that. Sometimes we're like that with God. Like, you're not gonna believe this. I'm gonna tell you, I don't understand it. Okay. So Habakkuk's accusation is this. God, you're too passive, right? How long? How long is all this stuff happening? Just, you're, not a, you're not bringing justice. So God says, you think I'm passive? <laughs> Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm bringing the Chaldeans down and they're gonna come down here. And just like they've done to all the other nations around, they're gonna do the same thing to Israel, right? Now notice, which I think is really important, 
God's evaluation of the nation of Babylon. The, the group that he's going to use, the group that he's selected to bring this judgment, notice his evaluation of them. It's a bit like us, I think. Number one, notice this, verses six and seven. They're bitter. They're hasty. They seize dwellings not their own. And then verse seven, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Here's what that means. They decide what is right and what is wrong, right? They're just, they decide what's just. They decide what's correct. They don't have a higher authority over them. They are their own authority. I feel this is right. I feel that's wrong and that's it. How would you like to go to a court like that? So you go to court, you plead your case and the judge just says, you know what? I think you're guilty. I just feel that way. So you're guilty, but there's no evidence. It doesn't matter. I feel that way. You're getting a roommate for 20 years. Goodbye. You'd be like, what? And that's what they're doing. It's their just, there is no higher authority than them. So G.K. Chesterton, this theologian from a hundred plus years ago, he wrote something on this. Like when you, when you walk out from underneath some kind of a standard that says, you know what, there's a law, there's a rule over you that every person needs to be subject to. He says, when you walk out from underneath that, here's what happens. And I just grabbed a little quote of his. Here's what happens. As a politician, the secular person, secular is the Latin for now. It just means somebody that says, you know what? There's nothing after this. There's no afterlife, there's no God. It's the secular person, the now person. As a politician, the secular person will cry out that all war is a waste of life. And then as a philosopher, admit that all life is a waste of time. The secular person goes first to a political meeting where he complains the natives are being treated as if they were beasts. Then he goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that all human beings are actually beasts. He just keeps going on with this is what happens when you don't have any kind of higher authority, then it's just like whatever you think or feel in this situation, even though they'll contradict each other. Ultimately, you'll contradict yourself. That's what happens. So this group comes down and they bring their own justice. It comes just from this. They don't have anything over them. It's all subjective. It's all feeling. There's great humility in someone that says, I can be wrong and I'm teachable. That's not people that say, my justice comes from myself. That's someone that says, I know I don't know everything and I'm willing to be underneath authority so that I can begin to learn. I'm a student, not these guys. Then secondly, verse nine, they all come for violence. They're not coming just to take land. They're not gonna bargain. They're not gonna compromise. They want bloodshed. They want blood in the streets. We're coming for violence. We're itching for it. They're the opposite of peacemakers. We want violence. In verse 11, last one, they sweep up like wind and go on. Guilty men. So God looks at the Chaldeans and what they have been doing and how they've been carrying themselves. And God says, they're guilty men. And then this is the key to me, whose own 
Might is their God. Might is right. If we can do it, if we're strong enough, then we're gonna. What law is that? Isn't that the law of the animal kingdom? The animal kingdom, it's might is right. If you can do it. I saw this worked out at my house many years ago when we had a lot of animals. We don't have as many now, thankfully. But then we had two horses, three goats, and 10 chickens. And we had these apples that this person had given to us. And we'd take these apples and we'd throw them way up in the air and they'd come down and just kind of splatter in the field down below. And what would happen is this, the chickens, which were the fastest, would get there first. And they start eating the apples, but there was always one hen who was the top hen. And so she just went in there, feathers would fly. She got prime pickings, right? Might is right. But then next after the chickens, in would come the goats and they just put their head down and boom, just knocked the chickens out of the way and they'd start eating. And the horses were the slowest. So they'd plod over and then they would just take their big head and the goats were gone and they'd eat whatever is left. Why, what rule is that? Might is right. I'm stronger than you and I will take what I want, right? My daughter Carissa at that time tried to make them friends. She tried to make them share. She never succeeded because it's a law. It's the law of nature. Might is right. We'll take it. So that's where these guys have gone. If we can do it, if we're strong enough, we will, right? And it gets much more brutal than that. When a lion takes over a pride, and the first thing that lion does is chases down all of his predecessors, little cubs, and kills them. When a silverback gorilla is defeated and a new gorilla takes over, the first thing he does is crush the skulls of the baby gorillas because he doesn't want any wasted energy on his predecessor because might is right. Has anyone seen uh, BBC Empire? Oh, you got to Google it. There's a, there's, it's brilliant. Have you seen, anyone seen the hyena versus the lion? Oh my goodness. I should have brought and played it. Oh, just Google BBC, not now, wait. <laughs> BBC Empire, hyena versus lions. I'm gonna use it in illustration because my thing is like everyone needs a buddy because that's the whole point of that thing. It's so amazing. But it goes through these animal kingdom empires and just how might is right. That's everything is built on who's the strongest. Might is right. Nietzsche, 120 years ago, he said this, when God is dead, when we take overarching authority away, no more absolute law anymore. It's all subjective. It's how you feel, might is right. Nietzsche said, when you take that away, here's what will happen. There will rise up men who have the lust to dominate. He called them the ubermensch the Superman. And the Ubermensch will do whatever he wants because he can. And to tell the Ubermensch to stop doing whatever he wants would be wrong. It'd be like telling a lion not to attack an antelope. And that's exactly what happened in the 20th century. Ubermensches rose up and did exactly what they wanted. The Lenins, the Stalins, the Hitlers, the Pol Pots, the Maos. They just, if we can, we will. Might is right. Bloodiest century in history because they live by this rule. Might is right. 
So God says, I'm bringing that crew down. (laughs) Is it a good crew? Terrible crew. God even says they're a terrible crew. They're guilty men, right? So just because God uses somebody does not mean he condones them or endorses them. It's not like a political commercial where God says, hey, yeah, I approve this message. No, he's just, this is the tool that I'm going to use and I know what they are. They're violent, cruel, bad, guilty, totally. So he's not endorsing them, but they're the tool that God decides to use. Make sure you know that in the Bible. Make sure you know that in life, that God will sometimes use people. You're like, why in the world did God use that guy? He knows, he knows, he knows, all right? So Habakkuk hears this and he's like, oh, what in the world? So he says, verse 12, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Yahweh, my God, my Holy One. Look what he says. We shall not die. (laughs) What did God just say? It's coming. No, it's not. (laughs) That's so funny. God, you're wrong. Essentially what he's saying right here is, no way, God, you're wrong. We're not gonna die. That's not gonna happen. It's not gonna go down that way, God. Oh, Yahweh, you have ordained them as a judgment and you, oh, rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler, He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he offers to his net and makes sacrifices to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury. He'll always worship what makes you rich. And his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? This is complaint number two. First it was, why? God, where are you at? What are you doing? And then God says, this is what I'm gonna do. And he's like, what? You can't do that. I don't like the way you run the universe, God. I don't like what you're doing here. They are worse than us. Let me try to contextualize this. So, there's a movie coming out called, called Gosnell. Have you heard of that? It's the abortion doctor who was in Philadelphia who had 80 reports of really bad things happening, often with minorities. Um, he uh, has a, had 100 infractions. It, you read articles on it and it's like, you get disturbed by it. Full birth children, babies, and scissors on spinal cord, just, you cannot believe it. And it was, this stuff was known. And it was like, what in the world? How did he get away with this for decades and decades and decades? So it'd be like this. It'd be like me saying, God, Kermit Gosnell, how in the world have you let this go on? Are you kidding me? What's wrong? Don't you see this? And then God's saying, oh yeah, I see it. What are you gonna do, God? 
I'm raising up the North Koreans and they're gonna attack America and they're gonna destroy America. I'd be like, what? North Korea? Have you seen their human rights? They're worse than us. Are you kidding me? How could you use them? That's what, that's what Habakkuk is feeling right now. Are you kidding me? They're worse than that. They're worse than me. They're worse than us. How could you? So he has this massive, like theological problem. And it's this, the cure is worse than the illness. That's his problem now. God, the cure that you're talking about is worse than the illness that we have. You can't punish us like that. It's what I call the ice cream headache theology. You're just like, ah, what? You ever have that? I'm a chronic ice cream headache theology guy. Ah, what did I just read? Oh my goodness. It'd be like going to the doctor for a carpal tunnel. I'm like, doc, I got carpal tunnel. And the doc's like, you know what? Let's amputate it. What? Are you crazy? Oh yeah, we probably better go back to the elbow. Just take care of the whole thing. The shoulder? You're like, you're insane, right? Your cure is worse than my illness. No. So right now, Habakkuk is like, I can't believe this, right? They're idolaters. They, they worship their net, right? They make their net into an idol. Are you kidding me? This is insane. In verse 17, you're gonna keep letting them win, mercilessly killing nations forever. You're gonna keep just letting this incredibly violent, cruel group of people keep winning? God, I can't understand this ice cream headache, theology. His theology is tweaked right here. What God has just told him is something that he never expected. That God would use a nation like Babylon as his tool against the evil of Israel. He's tweaked. So what is he supposed to do? Three things will be done. Number one, I don't think, especially America, 2018, almost 2019, I don't think we comprehend any longer the divide between what is holy and unholy because we're gray now. We're not black and white at all anymore. So I'll try to explain like holy versus unholy like this, like the way that we actually see it today. It'd be like this. So let's say you're driving Interstate 5 and you are going, how fast? <laughs> yeah, right. You're doing 78. You're like, that's a safe speed. You know, that's pretty, I'm with the flow of traffic. Just going with the flow. That's all I was doing, I was going with the flow. So you're going with the flow, you're doing 78. All of a sudden, somebody blows by you and they're doing 90. What do you think in that moment? You speeder, right? <laughs> Look at how fat, you're dangerous. Are you kidding me? You're going way too fast. Where's a policeman when you need him, right? They should pull that guy over. And then all of a sudden you look in your rear view mirror. What do you see? Police, you're like, yeah, but then he pulls you over. You're like, what? And he comes up, what do you say to him when he comes up to your window? Did you see the other dude, man? I, he was doing 90, why, why are you pulling me over, right? And what will the policeman say? How fast were you going, sir? I don't know, 78. What's the speed limit here? 65, you're a speeder too. I pulled you over because you're a speeder too but he's worse than me. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. You're a speeder. Either you're a speeder or you're not. There's no curve in there. Either you're keeping the law 
and you're holy, or you're breaking the law and you're unholy. That's what it means. There's no curve in this. It's not, well, I'm better than him. No, perfection, perfection. That's why the revelation in chapter two, verse four is so huge. The righteous shall live by the law, by being perfect. No, brilliant, beautifully, the righteous shall live by his faith. Hmm, so important. Number two, what does Habakkuk do? His theology has been taken up and just slammed back down. He cannot believe this. He's astounded that God would do this. So what does Habakkuk do? He takes his frustration to God. Here's a mistake too many people make. They get frustrated at God. And then what happens when you get frustrated at God is you keep it inside. And then every new thing that happens to you, you just keep adding on frustration and frustration and frustration, and it just closes you down. And it drives you away from God. That is not at all what Habakkuk does. Twice now, he's been frustrated. First of all, about how he sees the world. Like, are you kidding me? Aren't you doing it? And then secondly, at what he learns about God. This is even more frustrating. And both times, he, God, I'm frustrated. Help me. And this is what he does, and I'll be done here. It's chapter two, verse one. It should actually be with chapter one. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. What does he do? Spend some time. Okay, God, I got an ice cream headache on this theology. I cannot figure this out. I am confused. I don't understand why you would act this way. I can't, I, I, I cannot comprehend it. Okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take some time. Do we give God the time of day? Or do we take our frustration and then just let it grow? Frustration is like, like mold. It just loves the dark. It just grows and grows and grows and gets grosser and grosser and grosser and nastier. What it needs is light. It needs time. It needs God, help me. Help me to understand that. Help me. When your theology gets tweaked, be like Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2.1, God, I need to spend some time and I need to talk to you about this, and I need to figure out what's being said by this. Maybe Sunday tweak your theology. What do you do with it? Fester? Get mad at me? You can do that. Send me an email. Some of you did that, thank you. I love them, man. Bring them. I would love to have after a Sunday like that, just Q&A, man, let's do it. Let's hash this thing out. Do we give God the time of day? That is the big to me hinge that takes Habakkuk from a very frustrated prophet who can't figure out God to what we'll see at the end of this book. It's he was willing to spend some time. Okay, God, I don't understand this. Can't figure this out. 
I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna wait. And, he, and I love this. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. We're gonna have a dialogue here. Martin Lloyd-Jones said something. He says this, most of our trouble as believers come because we listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves. Does that make sense? It's like the psalmist who would say, oh, my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Why are you frustrated? Why are you mad? What's going on with you? I'm talking to my soul. And then the psalmist goes on to say, hope in God. He directs his soul rather than allowing his soul to swamp him. Too much of our trouble is we listen to ourselves instead of talk to ourselves and tell ourselves back scripture. This is faith. The just shall walk by faith. I'm going to talk to myself about scripture, about what is true. And because he does this, Habakkuk, his life has changed. This revelation is given to him right when he says, I'm gonna go up here and I'm gonna wait. And he gets the, probably one of the biggest revelations in the Old Testament, that the righteous shall live by faith because he gave it time. Do we give God the time of day? I hope so. It takes care of a lot of frustration and a lot of theological headaches if we'll give God the time of day. So Jesus, this day, Thanks for our brother Habakkuk. Who didn't store up frustration in his soul. So it poisoned him. But brought all of his frustrations to you. Dialogued and prayed and sought you and spent time with you. And you spoke to him strengthened him. Jesus, there are some here tonight that have stored up frustration. How long? How much more? How can I see this? Don't you see what's going on? God, why don't you act? They have stored up frustration. So I pray that they would learn one thing from Habakkuk tonight to pour out all their frustrations to you. That you're great enough to handle them. That you already know us. That all things are naked and open before you whom we deal. You already know them. We might as well bring them back to you and let you heal us of them and speak to us and transform us. I pray that we would be a people who sit underneath your authority. Not might is right. Not if we can seize it, then we will. Not our own form of justice, but that we would be a people who learn to be in submission to you, our high king, to learn to follow you and to learn of you, to take your yoke, to be students, apprentices of our master. 
I pray that we be a people who when we see injustice or cruelty, that we be quick to act. We would be your arms and we'd be your feet and we would be those that choose to engage. I pray for those that are suffering, Lord, like we talked about on Sunday. I pray that you would speak to them, Jeremiah 29, 11, just like you did the suffering exiles in Babylon. You told them, I know the plans I have for you. Not of evil, not of raw, not of evil, but of shalom to give you a future and a hope. So I pray for those that are suffering in this room tonight. I pray that they would know that God's plans are not evil. They are for shalom. That he can work all things for good to those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. There comes hope. There comes a future for all who love Jesus. Give them hope, I pray. And may we go from here strengthened. And I ask this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.